And while you remain standing, would you turn now in your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. Mark, chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 31 through 35. So just the last, the last verses, the last portion of chapter 3 of the Gospel of Mark. This is the word of God. And his, that is Jesus's, and his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we pray that you would nourish us in your word, and may that word uh, take effect in our hearts and in our lives. May the seed of your word uh, take root and grow and bear fruit within us, to the glory of your name, 30-fold, 60-fold, even 100-fold. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. As we have been uh, going through the Gospel of Mark together uh, thus far, we have seen Jesus... Uh, who came to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God being uh, confronted and in conflict with the spiritual leaders of his day. And Mark relates for us, particularly from from chapter 2 to the end of chapter 3, several episodes of conflict that uh, Jesus is having with those in spiritual authority and leadership, the scribes and the Pharisees. But interestingly, in chapter 3, in verse 20 and 21, we read these words, Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And so that's just a few verses earlier, and then Mark uh, sort of interrupts this family issue with a discussion uh, that Jesus had with the scribes and the Pharisees once again. Uh, the, the scribes and Pharisees had, had diagnosed, uh, the family diagnosed, he's out of his mind. The, the scribes and the Pharisees said, he's... Possessed by Satan, by Beelzebul. And then Jesus uh, confronts that charge, showing how that is impossible, and then speaks of the unpardonable sin, which we focused on last week. Now Mark returns to the family situation, and Jesus uh, is uh, surrounded by a crowd. He is uh, indoors. He is surrounded by a crowd. Mary and his brothers 
uh, can't seem to get near to him, so they send a message which goes through the crowd and reaches Jesus. And that message is, your mother and your brothers are outside, they're seeking you. And we should see this in light of what we saw in verses uh, 20 and 21, where they wanted to seize Jesus and basically remove him. They wanted to save Jesus from himself because he's out of his mind. Now, it would have been very appropriate upon Jesus hearing that his mother and his brothers were seeking him out. It would have been very appropriate culturally for him to immediately, immediately respond to the family wishes. Grown sons were still uh, uh, subject to their parents, and it would have been appropriate. Nobody would have batted an eye if Jesus says, I'm sorry, my family wants me, I'm going to leave. That would have been fully appropriate of his day, but Jesus doesn't do that, does he? In fact, uh, he says, who is my mother and my brothers? And he breaks from expectations and the social conventions of, the, of his day and says something that might come across as pretty harsh to us. So we're looking at this passage together. And I think what Jesus is doing here is making very clear, giving us uh, and his hearers some necessary, good and necessary kingdom instruction. <laughs> kingdom instruction. Uh, he came in Mark chapter 1. Jesus came proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And Mark is unpacking that for us, uh, inspired, of course, by the Holy Spirit, revealing to us how Jesus was doing that, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And one of the things I think that it's important to see here, one of the things that Jesus is teaching, kingdom instruction, number one, is that Jesus comes first. Jesus comes first. Jesus matters most. In other words, the closest and dearest of earthly relationships that you have must take second place to the one relationship that ultimately and eternally matters. And that is Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. Jesus matters most. And uh, his words were probably ill-received, I think, by uh, his response uh, was ill-received, I think, by his family when they heard what Jesus had said. Now, of course, they knew that Jesus loved them and he cared for them. We know that Jesus did. We recall uh, when Jesus was hanging on the cross in great extremity of suffering and agony, that one of the words of the cross was to his mother, Mary, Mary, woman, behold your son. And then he says to John, behold your mother. And what Jesus was doing in the extremity of his suffering there was he was caring for the, the, the continued life of his mother, knowing that he would no longer be able to do that. Jesus cared for his mother and his brothers and sisters, no question. 
But here, his words seem cold. They, they, they seem unfeeling, don't they? Who is my mother <laughs> and brothers? But actually, they're not cold, and they're not unfeeling. In fact, just the opposite. What Jesus is making clear is that being blood-related isn't enough. Being blood-related isn't enough. And that's not going to save his mother and his brothers and his sisters. And so he was making clear to them and to the, his hearers, you need more than just relation. That will not save you. And so Jesus is, yes, rather bluntly, showing them the way of true life. So it's not cold and unfeeling. It's, it's yeah, blunt. It's pretty straight. But it's revealing the way to life, teaching them and the crowd a very vital spiritual truth. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This is, this is a consistent teaching of Jesus. Uh, this isn't something new here. In Matthew 7, for instance, Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So this is a matter, this is a consistent teaching of Jesus. It's a matter of kingdom eternal importance. If we're not doing the will of God, we are shutting ourselves out of the kingdom of God. And it's consummation of being in the presence of God for eternity. So it isn't our outward uh, relationships. It isn't our outward standings that makes us citizens to the kingdom of God, to the kingdom of Christ. And, and, and to you children and young people, I cannot impress this on you enough, how important that is. You, being a member of, of this church, probably were baptized as an infant, and that baptism was a sign, of, among other things, but was a sign of entrance into the, the church of Jesus Christ, into the, the family. But it's a sign of it. It's not the thing itself. It was a sign of entrance. And when you make profession of faith, that must proceed from a possession of faith. <laughs> We're not just simply speaking words. There needs to be a possession of faith. In other words, you can't just simply say, well, because dad and mom are members of the church and they're believers, I have a pass into heaven. We're not saved through bloodlines, is what Jesus is teaching us. We're not saved through bloodlines. We're saved through faith. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. But whoever does the will of God, he is my mother and sister and brother. Well, let's dig into that. How does anybody become spiritually related to Jesus Christ? 
Well, if you've been in, in the church and if you've been in a true faithful church for any amount of time, this is Christianity 101. This is pretty basic. How does anybody become a member uh, or united, related uh, spiritually to Jesus Christ? Well, it is faith that unites us to Jesus Christ, isn't it? It is faith in, in what Christ has accomplished for us. The moment we believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God and our Savior, we are brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. We're in the family. John 1 brings this out. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Now, who would be his own in his own people? Well, those would be those who have relation of the, same, of the same race, of the same heritage from Abraham down through the lines. Jesus came to the Jews, his own people, but his own did not receive him. But then it says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So, the, 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 the clear, consistent biblical teaching is that we become spiritually related to Jesus Christ through faith and through faith alone. Faith takes us into the family and the fellowship of the people of God. But what's interesting and we all know that, don't we? We all know that. That's, that's what Scripture teaches. That's what, that's what the Word is, is, is bringing us to. That's why the Reformation happened. It's not by works, but it's by faith that we are justified and received. But Jesus doesn't say that here, does he? That's not saying it's not true. It's just saying Jesus at this point isn't saying that. He's saying something a little bit different. Jesus doesn't speak here of believing, but of doing. Whoever does the will of God is my mother and sister and brother. Jesus is teaching something very important here, and I think it's simply this. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. So what does it mean to do the will of God? And this is what I want to spend most of the rest of our time because that's really what Jesus is saying. Uh, for whoever, verse 35, does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So that's the big question, isn't it? Well, what is the will of God? How do we do the will of God? Vitally important. Well, first of all, let me say, without the scriptures, we wouldn't have a clue. Without the Bible, we wouldn't have a clue. I made this point earlier in our service. God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And the, so it's the word of God that reveals to us what is the will of God. That's very important. And the Holy Spirit works in us so that we grasp it, we understand it, when we say yes to it. But we're not taught the will of God outside or over and above what Scripture teaches. God's Word is the light 
and lamp to our feet and path. And it's important to recognize that God's will is good and acceptable and it's perfect. This is what Paul brings out in Romans chapter 7, that the will of God is good and is acceptable and is perfect. In other words, we can trust God's goodness and wisdom and perfection. The devil tries to persuade us and, and, and is quite effective at it that God's will is something to resist and that we're to run away from, from it. But what God is, is, is teaching us in his word is, I am your God. I am your father. I love you. And my will is good for you. It's good for you. So as we think about doing the will of God, as foundational, we need to understand that that will is good. And it is acceptable. And it is perfect. I don't think, as I said a moment ago, that Jesus was denying the truth of Scripture, that we become spiritually related to him through faith. I don't believe that at all, because even when he says those who do the will of God, well, the will of God is that we believe. God wills your faith. Hebrews 11, verse 6 says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So I, I, I think it's very clear, biblically, that uh, at at the very least, one of the things we can say is God's will is that you believe in Jesus Christ. And that is scripturally consistent as well. <clears throat> but another matter, and a very important one, is this. The will of God is your sanctification. The will of God is your sanctification. This is what we read in 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God. <laughs> Your sanctification. It can't get any clearer than that. This is the will of God, your sanctification. What does that mean? That means God's will is that you live set-apart lives. Set-apart lives. The family of Jesus, the, 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 the uh, biological family of Jesus, Mary, and his brothers and sisters, they thought Jesus was losing his mind, and they were falling right into the trap that the Pharisees and the scribes were in, saying, this can't be the Son of God, so he must be wacko, really is where they were at. And his family was right there. And they were not living set-apart lives. They were, just, they were just going with the flow. This is what, uh, you know, this is what people are teaching. This is what people are saying. But... The will of God is your sanctification. That is, that you live a life that marches to the drumbeat of Scripture, not of the culture, not of what the world is teaching, not of what our culture is saying. It's a differently shaped life. Now, in what ways? God's will is your sanctification. That is, you're set apart. It's a differently shaped life. One of the differences from this world, from this culture, from our society, is that, that such a life is different in motivation. What motivates you, what motivates me as a Christian, is not self and self-interest. It's not uh, uh, pleasure. It's not family, even. It's, it's not uh, success, 
what motivates us, what should motivate us as the people of God, those who are being sanctified, set apart, is the pleasure of God and the glory of Jesus Christ. That should motivate us. What is our chief end? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That should motivate. That should be our motivation of life. And that completely sets us apart from everybody who is non-Christian, from every unbeliever. So that's one of the things, is the very motivation for our lives is we're living for the glory of Christ, for the glory of God. In your family, in your work, in your school, in your summer vacations, whatever it is, whatsoever you do, whether you eat and drink, do all to the glory of God. That's our, that's our ultimate bedrock foundation and motivation of life. And that's different. That's a differently shaped life than those in the world. So there's there's a difference in motivation. There's also a difference in practice. In other words, our lives are lived, shaped by God's unchanging word, not by popular consensus. Not by popular consensus. Whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Society is always changing, right? The culture is always changing. Uh, If we've lived long enough in this world, we've seen a lot of changes that are taking place. Uh, Some changes, of course, are good. uh, But usually when we talk about moral issues, uh, usually the changes aren't good. And, uh, And I think we're certainly seeing that in our, in our day. But God doesn't change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the Christian life is one that is consistent with the will of God, and because that is so, usually stands in opposition to popular consensus. Do you find that to be true of yourself? I want to just use, for example, in... in Today's world, I think it can hardly be denied that uh, the real cultural issues are regarding sexual ethics. And we have seen a huge uh, redefinition, and I would even say turning on its head, uh, sexual ethics and sexual morals. And so any... Anybody whose ears are attuned to what's happening in our culture are hearing words and things about sexual identity, sexual orientation, hearing about marriage being completely redefined. And what I am saying is, in that context, the will of God is your sanctification. That is, that you are set apart. And as a believer, we are opposing culture and particularly in that area, as antithesis to our culture, when we say God created human beings, mankind, in his image, male and female, he created them. You say that, and you're already outside of the stream of our culture, who says there's all kinds of genders, uh, 80, I think I heard, or whatever it is, uh, where we're saying, no, no. It's male and female. That's how God created mankind. Uh, That's what it is. Uh, And there's no other 
options for that. We are created male and female. There's binary. We, we run counterculture just simply by saying that. But if we go on and say that when God created Adam and he says, it's not good that man should be alone. And so what did God do? God remedied man's loneliness with a woman. With a woman. And brought them together as man and wife. God's remedy for man's loneliness is a woman. And that, if we say that, puts us at odds with our culture. And then if we say, and that means that marriage is between one man and one woman. A man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. That single a man shall leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. That's, that's a female noun. It's, it's, it refers to a woman, a single uh, in, in other words, not plural, <laughs> single, uh, one man and one woman, and that defines what marriage is. That's part of its very definition and very core. And so to say that marriage is between one man and one woman, you are against culture today. You are, you are antithetical to what is being taught and what is being, uh, what is being promoted in our culture today. And then, if you dare to say that it is within that context of marriage, a one man and one woman, in that context that God gives us to experience and to enjoy sexual fulfillment and enjoyment. It's in that context, and that context only, that that's where God would have us enjoy and have that fulfillment of, of sexual activity. Woo, you're way out of bounds in today's culture. You are way out of bounds. You are, you are so antithetical to what our culture is teaching. Oh, you know, God... The will of God is your sanctification. That is that you're set apart. And, you know, Christians should oppose same-sex marriage, which is an oxymoron. Christians should oppose same-sex marriage, not because we hate homosexuals. That should not be the case, by the way. We should love our neighbors, and we should be very uh, gentle and very kind uh, with those who are in a lifestyle of homosexuality and be very uh, careful to show that love to them. So it, it should not be motivated by any hate that we oppose same-sex marriage. But we should oppose it because God's word opposes it. That's the important thing. That's, that's speaking to this culture the word of God. We live counter cultural lives because God never affirms the fallenness of this world. He never affirms it. The will of God is your sanctification. That means your life has a different motivation. It has a different practice conformed to the word of God, but also it has a different model, if I may put it that way, uh, in other words, 
the models by which we want to live by are not movie stars, are not rock stars or musicians, are not athletes. Those aren't our heroes. Those are not our models. Jesus said, I have come, I have come not to do the, my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That's our model. That's our model. And Jesus says, those who follow that, those are my brothers and sisters and mothers. Those who do the will of God, the will of him who sent me. Jesus, our elder brother, is our model. And God is conforming us into that image, the image of Christ, who came not to do his own will, but the will of him who sent me. So what Jesus is doing here is he is prioritizing the interest of the kingdom of God over flesh and blood relations. He is prioritizing the interest of the kingdom of God. Prioritizing. That comes first. Over flesh and blood relations. Now, in closing, I just want to say one more, uh, one more thing about this. Forever who does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. This is kingdom privilege. <laughs> Jesus is speaking here. Kingdom privilege. If you think about it, even though we started saying, it sounds kind of cold and kind of heartless. I mean, his mother and brothers were probably taken aback by hearing those words. But what is Jesus doing? Is he is greatly expanding his family. He is greatly multiplying his family. It's not just those who are related to me by blood. It's those who by faith are being sanctified. So that... Now, here we are, 2019, sitting in this place, half a world away from where Jesus said these these words, and over 2,000 years beyond it, and here we are in his family, (laughs) in the family of God. How wonderful that. Through Jesus Christ, we are members of the family of God. In Hebrews 2, verse 11, I love this verse. It says, he is not ashamed to call us his brothers. (laughs) Wonderful. He's not ashamed to call us his brothers. This is the the privilege we have. So it's not just his biological bloodline families that is the family of Jesus Christ. You are, and I am, and all who are in Christ Jesus through faith. Being a Christian, you see, is not only just being... Uh, justified and accepted by God, as, as <laughs> amazingly wonderful that is. But God then says, and now you're my son. You're my daughter. You're in my family. And God puts his arm around you and says, it's good between us. I'm your father. You're my child. I'll do anything for you. Those who do the will of God, these are my brothers and sisters and mother. Are you in the family? Are you in the family of Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and for teaching us these kingdom truths and what is of first importance. Lord, we're so prone to get caught up in 
the matters of this world, and, and these are important things, but we pray that we would always keep those in focus and ask, O oh Lord, that you would draw our hearts to yourself, giving us a greater and a deeper desire to do your will. Thank you for bringing us into your family. And thank you that we can now enjoy the family meal. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.